This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 51, The Crosswick Monster. Southwestern Ohio is no stranger to mysterious happenings or bizarre creatures. In fact, the Cedar Bog Monster and the Loveland Frogmen are both instances of cryptozoological phenomenon that occurred within just 50 miles of the area that will be our focus today. Located just north of Waynesville, Ohio, Crosswick is an unincorporated community that has never even had a population large enough to be subject to the census. Founded back in 1821 by James Jennings and just six others, the town slowly grew to a population of just 31 over the following 60 years. In late May of 1882, the Western Star reported an uncanny incident that would finally put this paper town on the map. See, it had become commonplace in Crosswick to come upon an incomprehensibly large set of unidentifiable tracks crossing the town's single dirt road. It had become so common, in fact, that many of the town's residents had taken to avoiding nighttime strolls finishing their business before sundown in hopes of avoiding whatever beastly behemoth was capable of leaving such impressions in its wake. This practice, held by the more reticent among Crosswick citizens, had become a point of ridicule among neighboring settlements. But the wisdom of their instincts was soon proven, when the amphibious anomaly finally reared its hideous head. On the morning of May 27th, a pair of brothers named Joe and Ed Lynch aged 11 and 13 respectively, had been fishing on the banks of a creek known locally as Satterthwaite's Run for a mere 45 minutes when the peaceful atmosphere of the spring wood was broken by a, quote, quite a stir among some old reeds, grass, and brush behind them, end quote. The boys jumped at the sound, but it's safe to assume that whatever they imagined paled in comparison to what came crashing through the underbrush headed straight for them. This incredible creature at first appeared to the boys to be an enormous snake. Published accounts have the creature's length at an astonishing 30 to 40 feet, its head some 16 inches across. The black and white patterned flesh was like nothing the boys had ever seen before, but when they got the closer look that they never asked for, they found that the ostensibly reptilian rarity was far more bizarre than they would have ever thought possible. The armored scales that covered the beast's body appeared to be slathered in some viscous, clear slime, reminding the boys of a salamander. As they stood frozen with fear, the creature pulled its head back from the ground and opened its mouth wide, letting out a hiss that sent goosebumps running down the bodies of the terrified teens, 
With this, they shook off the shock and turned to retreat, leaving their poles and tackle behind on the bank. Ed led the way, and he knew within just a few steps that the serpentine spectacle was not satisfied with scaring them away. It made chase. They tore through the forest with the comfortable grace reserved for those who spend their lives in the woods. But even the combination of youthful speed and wilderness savvy that they enjoyed was no match for the creature's incredible and outlandish locomotion. Just as it began to close the gap, it reared back for a third time, and the boys caught sight of a distinctly non-herpetological feature. Two long, sinewy forelegs stretched out from its body, reached past Joe, and snatched young Ed from the ground in mid-stride, pulling him into its slimy embrace. Joe turned and screamed as the beast's mouth opened wide, revealing a long, black, bifurcated tongue and multiple rows of needle-like teeth. It lurched forward and wrapped its horrendous mouth around the shoulder of the boy, seemingly content in its acquisition for its prey. It astonishingly produced two more legs near the rear of its serpentine body. The four-foot-long rear legs planted firmly in the ground as the monstrosity spun away from the bewildered boy, and using its massive tail to propel it forward, fled into the wilderness at breakneck speeds. Eleven-year-old Joe Lynch, in an incredible display of love and bravery, immediately set off after the now quadrupedal serpent. The sound of his brother's agonizing cries echoed through the forest around him, accompanied only by the dull thud of his nearly lifeless body bouncing against the rugged terrain. They were all alone, and Joe knew that his brother's only chance at survival rested in his young, but hopefully capable hands. He followed the monster over 150 yards along the creek, when a very old, very large sycamore tree came into view. The beast was headed directly for it. He and his brother had used this tree as something of a fort in the previous summer. The massive hollow interior was an obvious choice for their games of make-believe fancy, but they had abandoned it in the winter and hadn't returned. It became clear as the beast that had captured his brother approached the wide opening that someone had taken up residence there afterward. Something. He had a feeling that if the creature managed to drag his big brother into that hollow darkness, he would never see him again. In a further act of bravery and self-sacrifice, the young boy began screaming challenges at the beast. Whether this served as a distraction, or the now completely limp Ed Lynch was just too large, the monster seemed to be struggling to secure its meal completely. The wrapping of the boy's head and limbs against the sides of the tree echoed all around as Joe stood 30 feet away without a next move. Disheartened and distraught, he soon found that the universe had just a little luck left for him and his seemingly broken brother. On a nearby ridge that overlooked the creek, Reverend Jacob Horn, George Patterson, and Alan Jordan, three highly respected members of the community, were quarrying stone as the pained cries of Ed Lynch came into earshot. They rushed to the edge of the ridge to get a good look at what was happening below them. Arriving just in time to see the serpentine behemoth crashing through the wood below, with a boy dangling lifelessly from its Iron Maiden mouth. The men reacted quickly, tossing their pickaxes and shovels over the edge, and sliding down a nearby embankment toward the terrorized yowling. 
As they approached the giant sycamore, they began shouting at the beast. No There's no way of knowing if it was a reaction to the approaching reinforcements, or in pure frustration with its attempts to drag the boy inside. But the perturbed predator dropped Joe from its now blood-slicked maw and retreated fully into its arboreal alcove. The boy's rescuers arrived just as Ed fell hard to the rocky ground below. Soon Joe was by their side, trying to explain what had happened through tears and ragged breathing. Prioritizing the safety of the boys over the extermination of the creature, Reverend Horn scooped Ed up off the ground, making note of the gore that was once his left shoulder. The Reverend and Mr. Peterson rushed the boys to their family home just a quarter mile away, while Alan Jordan rode into the nearby town of Waynesville to retrieve the nearest doctor. Within the hour, Dr. L.C. Lukens arrived at the Lynch home and took over the care of the wounded child, who would ultimately make a full recovery, but the scars that would result from the deep gashes across his shoulder would be carried by him for the rest of his life. Relieved that the boy was alive, but intent on never letting this happen again, the three rescuers wasted no time in gathering the men of Crosswick and several surrounding communities. By five o'clock that evening, they had gathered over 60 volunteers. Armed with a full range of farm implements turned melee weapons and a pack of expertly trained hunting dogs, they set out into the forest surrounding Satterthwaite's run. Following the creek east... It wasn't long before the group of defenders arrived at the den of the deadly deviation. As the hounds stood at full attention, snarling and barking furiously at the opening, five men positioned themselves around the base and began chopping at it with axes and mauls in an attempt to drive the beast from its hiding place. The rest of the mob stood and anxiously awaited the monster's attempt at escape. Tension built in the crowd as the tree shook with every blow. Either the beast would bolt or that tree was coming down. It was only a matter of time. A hush fell over the men who stood in white-knuckle anticipation of any change whatsoever. Unfortunately, their attention was ill-placed, because the clever creature had made its way much farther up the tree than they had considered. Leaping through a hole near the top of the tree, the gargantuan beast took them all by surprise. It crashed gracelessly to the ground as dozens of them leaped away from it just in time. Before they fully understood what had transpired, the slippery serpent reared back, threw all four appendages toward the men, and hissed defensively before it was off. It splashed through the creek and scaled the hill on the other side with ease. To their credit, the braver souls among the mob of men quickly gathered their will and chased after the beast just as it smashed through the rail fence that lined the hilltop. Passing over the railroad tracks, the men pursued the serpent through nearly a mile of tall grass and marshy meadow, until it came upon a narrow opening in a rocky hillside north of town. Tucking its nearly telescopic limbs against its body, the slithering monstrosity made for safety within. The last few feet of the beast vanished into the darkness just as the first of the men arrived, swinging their pickaxes and clubs in a vain effort to validate their pursuit. After scouting the hillside, Reverend Horn determined that this entrance also served as the monster's only means of escape. On that assumption, the remaining men, some 25 among them, set up something of a stakeout. They waited more than three hours, but as the sun began to set, 
determination among them began to falter. The group quickly decided that there must be some unknown exit that allowed the beast to escape. And it's hard to argue with that logic, because not only did the creature never emerge from the hole in the hillside, but it was never seen in this area again. Many have attempted to explain this incredible account. Some foreign monitor lizard, the Komodo dragon, the New Guinea crocodile monitor, and the Asian water monitor are the top of the list. But those creatures top the scales at just 10 to 12 feet in length, and even those sizes are rare. If our only account of this substantial serpent came from a pair of terrified young boys, it would be a simple matter to write it off as some terror-induced fever dream. But that is not the case here. Could the descriptions given by nearly four dozen citizens be disregarded in the same way? Some exceedingly strange type of mass hysteria? Not only does this simplification fail to account for the remarkable size of the beast, it fails to explain its behavior and capabilities. Whatever attacked Ed Lynch on that fateful morning in the spring of 1882, it was awfully large and terribly agile. It was able to manipulate its body in ways that modern science has never observed in a cataloged species. It is estimated that 15 million different species live on our planet, but only 2 million of them are currently known to science. While it's safe to assume that the vast majority of these unknown organisms are small insects and micro-animals and bacteria, who is to say with absolute certainty that below our feet, in the vast cave systems that we have built our civilization atop, Remarkable creatures like the Crosswick Monster aren't getting hungry, waiting for a chance to get a taste of humanity. Welcome campers to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. We are your hosts, I am Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now an ad break. Hey guys, if you're hanging on every spooky word from Jordan and Ryan, I've got a recommendation for you. My name's Elliot Gates, the host of the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Every episode, I share the tales of those who left their mark on our world. Far from the dry, dull speeches of politicians you were forced to memorize in school, I'm serving up drama, action, tragedy, and triumph. Through knife-edge victories, defiant last stands, and doomed final speeches, you'll learn about some of the lives of the most fascinating individuals ever to walk the earth. Like the story of Khalid ibn al-Walid, a pagan merchant who went on to lead the armies of the Prophet. Or skipping a few centuries forward to the tiny island of Malta, where a 72-year-old crusader held the line with 600 knights against 40,000 Ottoman invaders in what's remembered as the greatest siege of all time. While up in Wales, Owen Glendore threw off the shackles of English oppression, rose up against the tyrannical king and led the Welsh in their greatest rebellion in history. All these stories and so many more are available right now on the Anthology of Heroes podcast. Tune in on all podcasting platforms and on Instagram. My name's Elliot Gates, and I hope to see you there. And now, the debrief. So, dude, what'd you think? It's a pretty gnarly story. So, first thing I thought about is when I was a kid, uh, especially like when I moved to Georgia for a short period of time, pretty much anywhere that you looked under like old logs or anything like that any like wet pieces of dirt and land and stuff you would find salamanders right right and i would catch so many of them because they were super cool but they were all like slimy like squirmy feeling and like 
you know, but nice. they, they were super awesome. Now I'm terrified. <laughs> I <don't, laughs> like, cause I, I see this thing as this big giant salamander with like a vengeance. Yeah. It's this like weird, gigantic mixture between a salamander and like a Komodo dragon. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's very frequently cause there are some other sightings I'll get into later, but it's very frequently seen as like a giant snake because it does this weird thing with its legs where it like tucks them in or yeah, like maybe like, I don't know. Some people who have covered it. have talked about like, maybe it like the legs like slip into its body somehow. Cause it's that's kind of what I was anyway, wondering, so like knows? how it like just pops them out or something. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the way I kind of read the account is they just didn't, they were so focused on like its head that it, they didn't notice the legs. That's until yeah. That I mean, that's kind of what I assumed. Is that they first saw the first like the fir- like the front two, right? Right. Yeah. And it might have two different modes of locomotion, right? So it might like do the slithering thing with its legs tucked against its body. That makes sense. And then when it needs to, it can pop up on its legs. Right. But it can also Just, apparently bounce on its back, almost like a tigger. Yeah, like a like a <laughs> kangaroo. Right. Like a giant kangaroo. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly, which is also super weird. Yeah, because when it when it snatched the kid, when it snatched up Ed and took off, it was up holding him. Like hmm. in its mouth and its front, it's like four legs. Right. And basically like running on its back legs and pushing forward on its with its tail. It's so weird. Yeah, it's bizarre. Okay. This is not, like, yeah, this is not something I'd want to come in contact with. (laughs) No, absolutely not. I mean, it's literally the size of, like, a tractor trailer. Yeah. Like, 30 to 40 feet blew my mind when I read it. Like, that's when I was like, yep, we're, I'm covering this. I mean, we don't even have, like, Like, snakes that large around, around here or that area or anything. Like, yeah, that's, that's what's super weird. I don't think huh. we have like documented snakes in North America in the wild that get that big. I mean, yeah, this is like the size of like an anaconda or something, yeah. you know, something similar. And I assume just those... as like big and thick and right. Yeah. Well, it said its head was 14 inches across. Right. Yeah. I was going to say like 14 <laughs> or 16 inches. Like, yeah, I mean, that could literally, that's, yeah, literally yeah. gulp up like a torso. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the kind of snake you think of being like, deep in like the amazon <laughs> right you know what exactly I mean? yeah that's not something yeah. we see around here like something ice cube would fight in a movie <laughs> <laughs> touche yeah, yeah no but man like yeah it just it just made that like that whole like like i said my childhood and i i used to make it a point to like catch salamanders and stuff like i loved it i loved it they were yeah. super cool and like i loved how slimy they felt like just playing you know like hold them in my hand and like letting them crawl and stuff like yeah i just think about that now and i'm just like man i gotta reevaluate everything <laughs> your whole childhood it, that could have been a baby one it could have been i don't know <laughs> maybe that's what I a baby salamander or an actual salamander is it's just a baby one of these aren't like because i don't have much first-hand experience with salamanders being you know in indiana my whole right. life i think there are some there might be some 
salamanders yeah. in Indiana. But I assume. I've never I've never fucked with salamanders. So like they don't they don't have like they have like pretty smooth skin though, right? Yeah, I know they're slimy, but like the skin itself the is like smooth, right? Of a snail. Okay. Right? So it's like almost like they're not always like that slimy, but like that yeah. like texture, like that smoothness. Gotcha. Yeah. They're kind of reminiscent like, of that. This thing was described as like scaled like a snake right. is. You know what I mean? Right, but also very slimy. But still slimy. And, yeah. That's yeah. weird. I wonder if there was like a trail of slime behind it as it made its <laughs> way through the forest. You know? I, I I see like the the group of people that are that are in that uh, that posse as you will yeah because <laughs> everybody <laughs> loves a good posse yes always um, <laughs> I see them like traveling like in its wake and they're all like slipping and sliding everywhere <laughs> yeah there's like slime just hanging off of tree branches and stuff that <laughs> right, it ran yeah. into yeah yeah. Like I mean, fall, falls down and flops onto him. Like, ah, oh, damn it! <laughs> I mean, I love that idea, but in the in the article, they said it had like a like a viscous sheen. So I don't think it was like thick, yeah, sliminess. Just like enough to just, be like almost give it like that kind of like right that shine yeah. or exactly. That yeah. makes sense. Obviously, a lot more. I don't. I don't think it's like just producing mass amounts of slime as it you know yeah. makes its way wherever it's going. Exactly. But still cool nonetheless. You know, like I'll give it that. That'll be the way I see yeah. it. It was an interesting aspect to it for sure. I was initially blown away by the size because reading about a lot of cryptids, like I do, you're you're used to seeing like ten to fourteen feet. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. that's a big one, right? Like, you're used to, like, hearing Bigfoot is, like, 8 to 12 feet tall, and you're, you know... I mean, shoot, even, the, even like, the Tessie was only, like, what, 16 feet or something? Yeah. You know, long? Yeah. Plesiosaurs... Right. ...are not this big. Like, yeah, it's weird. Or this serpents, was like, if you will. This was, like, ocean serpent length. Yeah, that's like, crazy. Yeah pretty wild what's weird to me is that like because they gave the measurements of the the sycamore tree that was its den and it's pretty massive like how like, how wide is that tree i mean I especially for it to be you. like hollow in the middle and stuff like this has to be a pretty you know pretty wide tree so in the article it says quote Dragged the boy some 150 yards down the creek to a large sycamore tree, 26 feet in diameter at the in base. Diameter, okay. Wow, that's a yeah. big ass tree. I mean, think about it. This is this is like just settled land. Yeah. And the tree is dead and hollow. Mm-hmm. So how long it takes a completely undisturbed tree in the forest to die to that point? You know what I mean? Like it's probably a very old tree. I would assume, yeah. Like, massive old tree. Especially yeah. for this thing to, like, make its den in this area and be able to slithery, slimy, whatever, up this, you know, up the, like, the trunk of this tree, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. That's, it, it just, I mean, to think about, like, even seeing something 
similar to this. Um, you know, just out in the wild would be. I mean, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I, I feel like. No, I. Like I think the, you can leave some room for exaggeration. Just a little, of course. I mean, always, right? But how big it had to actually be to be exaggerated to forty feet long? Yeah. You know what I mean? That it had to be massive. I would say. At least even you, even half of that, I mean, could be... Yeah. You could be exaggerated to that much, or maybe yeah. you know, a little less, but I, I wouldn't expect you know, anything less than that. I mean, here's the thing. If it was 20 feet long, it would be twice the length of the largest ever recorded monitor lizard. Like, nearly, nearly twice as long. Because, like, the, the rare, super large monitor lizards get like 10 to 12 feet long okay and those are super rare right and they're not gonna get as wide as i think this thing probably was especially i mean with its head being that big yeah yeah that's the that's the real that's the real thing because that like they had like an up close you know they had up close encounters and they had the bites on the boy's shoulder to look at and like you know what I mean? And this thing also had like piercing teeth and oh yeah, multiple rows of needle-like oh. teeth. And like, if, okay, so say it was this was an exaggerated, really big monitor lizard. First off, there aren't monitor lizards native to the Ohio River Valley. Okay, good to know. Secondly, monitor lizards don't move like that. At all. They don't slither on their bellies. Yeah. Like snakes. Plus, they have pronounced, like, sections of their body. Like, their head is is notably less wide than their torso, and their tail narrows as it gets to the tip. Right? This thing, this thing was described as being, like, fully cylindrical. Like, no ups and downs. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, because it literally looks like a giant snake until it reveals the legs. Yeah. That's not what monitor lizards look like at all. Even if you cut their legs off, they, they're they like, their torso, their torso section is much wider than their heads and their tails. Like, I was I was just trying to imagine, uh, you know, just kind of putting, putting this together. Um, what is... I can never remember his name. Uh, the dragon from the How to Train Your Dragon movie. Um, um, toothless? Yeah, yeah. So I think of, like, that face. <laughs> and this big-ass, like... Giant snake. Slithery snake salamander thing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that... Way scarier than that. Right. But this yeah. is the thing that nightmares are made of. That's like the stuffed animal version of the crossword <laughs> right. monster. That's the Disney version. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the the gift shop version. <laughs> right. <laughs> that would, you know, inev- inevitably e- end up existing. Well, of course. Right. Because um, why not? Yeah. Isn't that how things exactly. work? Basically. Um, 
But yeah, I don't buy the exaggerated monitor lizard sighting. It doesn't make sense to me at all with what happened. Yeah. Also, you can't... Like I said in the story at the end, like... If it was a couple boys who saw it, I might think like, oh, they saw a big-ass lizard and they got freaked out and they just, you know, exaggerated. It seemed bigger to them because they were terrified, right? That's a normal thing. Yeah. But... Literally four dozen adults. I was gonna saw say, I mean, that's that's what it really comes down to. Yeah. So, and I know, like, you even mentioned, like, the end of the story, like, is this mass hysteria or is this, right. you know, like, something that actually, you know, actually happened? And having yeah. that many there to witness and experience this, also chasing after it, um, you know, like hunting this thing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's a little a little harder to explain than. You know, maybe this snake that might have had, like, some chunks of mud on it that made it look like it had legs or something. Sure. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just yeah. spitballing, but, like, still. It could be anything. Like, in a in a one-on-one encounter or even, like, a couple... Like, if it had just been the boys. You could literally just write it off as, like, they got freaked out. Yeah, of course. And they, you know, and they gave their description. Like, you can't ask someone, like, laying on their back with someone standing over them. You can't ask them, like, how tall was that guy? Yeah. You know what I mean? You, It doesn't work. At that point, it's all all on kind of how you perceive it, right? Right. It's perspective. For exactly. Sure. Like, so in a situation where it's it was just the two boys, I would see that. But this is not that. This is, like... A ton of people, and it was not just Crosswick people, it was people from multiple different towns had gathered in this this Van Meter visitor style posse and then to hunt there this were monster. Also, you had like what like bloodhounds or dogs and things yep. like that too, and right. Yeah. It's so it's hard to just write it off. I agree. And I definitely it, definitely agree with that. And the legend like spread, because I mean it's sixty people. Mm-hmm. saw this thing so of course they all went home and they told their families and their families told their friends and you know what I mean and like so it's like well established you think about like this is the late 19th century for 20-30 years lots of people in this area would tell this story and go like I know the guy who saw it right you know yeah. what I mean like it wasn't like because we think of it now, like oh, that's like a hundred and forty years ago, right? Of course, it's, we're so far removed from it. But for a generation at least, people are like, "I can take you over to Dave's house," like he was there. <laughs> Dave was, you know there. what I mean? Dave knows, yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, like, yeah. I agree. I agree. I mean, it's with yeah. that many people involved, you know. Yeah you're bound to come across like at least somebody that was an eyewitness that was like literally their first hand account. Yeah. I just feel like people lose track of that, that like these are real people, you know? And like, it hasn't always been, it's not like talking about like, you know, the Thunderbird or something where like, it's like hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. This legend. It like people lived you know, when World War II happened, there were still people living in this town who saw this. Right? Like, it's yeah, crazy. That, that is crazy. It's crazy. How many 
I don't know if you were able to find like how many additional accounts has there been since like this this particular one. Okay, so it hasn't been seen in the area for quite a while. The most okay. recent one was in 1913. Okay. So but I mean, still like was, a, almost a 30 year span since. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of it wasn't in Crosswick, so it was seen. Like similar reports came in from Caesars Creek, Ohio, Lebanon, Ohio, and Lexington, Ohio. Okay. So basically, and the th- the interesting thing is because this is like, it's about like a, there's sort of a progression. It starts in the southwest and it moves northeast. Okay. Up as it goes. And it's along this same like river system. Gotcha. So like this creek, Satterthwaite's run, it eventually hits the Ohio River. And, like, the Ohio River, you can follow through these other sightings. Which I find super interesting. Mm -hmm. Like, if this thing eventually made it to, like, you know, to, like, a Great Lake, and then to the ocean, who knows? Right. Right? Yeah. Or if this thing came from... Yeah. Came in through that channel. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I couldn't find anything more than like an offhanded mention of the sightings in Caesars Creek and Lebanon. Like I know Caesar, the Caesars Creek sighting was in 1906. Okay. So that was, um, yeah, in 1906. And then the Lebanon was in 1913. That was the most recent, but before these happened before even the, um, the one in that the story's written about in Crosswick in 1851 it was first seen in Lexington, Ohio. So that was the original sighting and that was 18 was 1850 1851. 1851. Okay, wow. Yeah. So it's really just shortly after the Civil War. Right? Um So the first sighting, I'll just read you a little bit about it because there's actually, it's pretty detailed about the Lexington sightings. All right. And it's like, it's become like a, a legend for that town also. Um, but they call it the great serpent of Lexington. So they refer to it as a serpent. Yeah. Okay. They see all the sightings aside from one that describes legs, all the other sightings, they know, but they see it in motion as like, they see Ah, it as like a giant snake, Mm -hmm. right? Because yeah. So the first sighting, a Dr. Kerrigan saw it or saw half of it in 1851, sunning itself on a big old tree, not like a big old tree, but like a big old tree. Right. The tree that's old. been blown. That's big. Right. And it had been blown. The tree had been blown over into the swamp. Um, Only half of the snake fit on the. See, they constantly refer to it as a snake, but Mm -hmm. only half of the snake fit on the tree. And he claimed he saw two long forelegs dangling from either side of the tree. So it was just like. Laid up on this old leaned over tree with its legs dangling. It's out there relaxing. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, 
According to a local journalist, after the Civil War, the first the the first sighting of the Great Serpent. Um, this was written after the Civil War, but he's saying the very first sighting of the Great Serpent was went clear back to 1816, when um, Amaria Watson, the founder of Lexington, encountered the encountered the snake in the wilderness. In 1832, a traveler told his wide-eyed testimony of watching the snake showing off on the road to Mansfield. Um, In 1846, awareness of the snake in the village had grown so nerve-wracking that a posse of men armed with sickles, rakes, hoes, and scythes assembled under the command of Captain James McIntyre to march into the swamp. So we have another posse hunting this thing. (laughs) One account says 60 or 70 men, another says 100 men. Because the dimensions always get larger with time, right? Um, The armed forces never encountered the wily serpent that day, so all the men came back alive. So this property that that it's always seen on in Lexington is basically like a swampland, right? Um, That's fair. But in the 1850s, that property was purchased by someone with a fantastic name, Abraham <clears throat> Abraham Beaverstock. <laughs> Beaverstock. Beaverstock. That's a quite a quite a surname. Yeah. So he, due to his insistence, a special clause was written into the deed to the effect that, like, basically. He wanted to make sure that the that the fabled reptile belonged to only Mr. Beaverstock. <laughs> but also to his heirs and assignees as well, forever. To the other Beaverstocks? Yes. Okay. The Beaverstock stock. Ah, the so, whole stock of Beaverstock. <laughs> exactly. Um the document in the bound volumes of deeds in the county courthouse was subsequently not only duly notarized and sealed, but decorated as well with a charming portrait of the legendary town monster. Like, it literally, he made the guy he bought it from write it out in the deed that the serpent belonged to him with the land. I mean, that's pretty cool. That'd yeah. be awesome to say. So, right? So he was super into it. Yeah. Um, I like it. But too bad for him. Apparently it migrated northwest. But does he still still own the rights to it? Yeah. And he was stuck with just a swamp. That's my creepy crawly salamandery thing. Right? But yeah, that's... Beaver so stock. Similar, <laughs> so similar things have been seen in the, in the area. This okay. story reminded me a lot of the Van Meter Visitor. Yeah story i mean because not only not only do they assemble a posse right, to go hunt exactly. the thing but it escapes into a, a cave basically yeah like uh, we can talk again about like our version of like hollow earth stuff right like That's true. Th- that could be where That's this true. thing escaped to yeah and huh. like we should be clear because, like, our version of Hollow Earth is not like when we say Hollow Earth, we don't mean the like crazy. There's an extra sun in there and like all that. I mean, I know you you go back and forth. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely do go back and forth on that. Like, but okay. also at the same time, I acknowledge that that's most likely not the case. 
Yeah. You know. So I, I should I should speak for myself and say that when I say hollow earth, what I mean is like what I'm referring to is the massive cave systems under North America. But what if there's like, like a little bit of sun that's trapped in there? <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, just what does a, that even mean? A little bit of sunlight that just happens to get stuck. That's not how light yeah, works. Yeah, I'm kidding. Ryan. I'm kidding. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. But what like if? Maybe it's just like an elaborate se- series of mirrors. Right. Maybe there's like some weird prisms that create this almost like ultraviolet like light that just goes in I like there. how you're just saying words that you know are associated with light. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, um,. But when I say this thing could have escaped to the hollow earth, I mean, like, there are massive cave systems that definitely could have undiscovered species living in them. Yeah. Oh, I agree. That that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't see, like, whole worlds down in these areas. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I love Journey to the Center of the Earth versions of hollow earth, right? Like, I love that fantasy. Oh, yeah. Same. That would be incredible, but... Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, if the Earth were actually hollow, there would, wouldn't would be nearly as much gravity, and we would all just float off into space. Yeah, and I highly doubt that we have entire <laughs> day-night cycles in the middle of the, you know, middle of the Earth. <laughs> right. But, you know, who am I to say, for sure. Sure. Uh, but, no, I, I, I agree. that That's possible. You know, and like yeah. and like we were saying, you know, like this thing could have escaped or came from the ocean. It could be the product of some like weird thing from this undiscovered zone that is, you know, because I mean, we still have depths in the ocean that like we've not been able to fully like chart, you know, like sure. be able to actually like go and find out all these things. We're still finding new things all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this could have been something that somehow made it out made its way in or in or whatever right either either or really i love the idea of it just like slithering up out of some cave and like because there are lots of underground bodies of water yeah right exactly it could also Mm -hmm. it could also have come from like come through like an underground river and made its way up through the cave system and see when often when we're discussing hollow earth that's more of what i see yeah like you yeah. know, almost like underground bodies of water, almost like an un, you know, like I I still have to, have to say there has to be underground like beaches and stuff like that, but of course no like <laughs> yeah. sun or anything like that, right? You know, I understand, of course. Just like areas where the water has eroded the stone away, and then the water level drops and it leaves an open area above yeah. the water. Yeah, I mean those definitely exist. Exactly. You can, we can drive like an hour and a half south to Mammoth Caves and see that they exist. Right? So who's to say that, you know, these things don't don't exist there? Yeah. And they I mean they could. I I always find myself going back to that with cryptids. Mhm. Cuz like to me that's and there are so many especially when you go to these like extremely not even rural, but like this like wilderness area. Cause you have to remember that Ohio 
was not populated by Europeans for very long at this point. Like, they were still settling towns. They were still, like, um, turning in. This is before even we started settling the West. Like, people are still, still, like, doing land claims in Ohio. Right. At this point. So, like, this is wilderness. Yeah. Like, wilderness, wilderness. And, like, and those places are riddled with caves. Of always. course. Mm-hmm. So, like, I always go back to this concept because, to me, that's like the, that makes the most sense for something that would be noticed if it lived on the surface. No matter where it is, I don't care how wild the area is, someone's going to see gonna it see sometime. It. Exactly. Right. So, like, that makes the most sense to me that it comes out and it has a place to go back to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I I don't know. And it's just a really cool setting for a monster. Right. Of course. A cave. Right? So. Or like and, these weird like sinkhole areas and you know stuff oh, yeah. like that too. Right. Yep. I agree. So there's a cool. There's a cool quote from the article that covered it. Um, from back in 1882 the article in the Western star and it's, they briefly interviewed the doctor who treated, um, Ed Lynch. And, um, he described his condition after the attack, right? So it says, quote, Dr. Lucan said this morning that the boy, his patient was badly bruised and cut horribly frightened and that he lay in convulsions and spasms until three until three o'clock in this morning, when he fell asleep, but frequently wakened with fright and terror. Yet the doctor thinks he will recover in a few days. <laughs> like, first off, that's super optimistic, <laughs> right, right? Exactly. Like, his shoulder's been like mauled. He's been convulsing he's like, all day. He's waking up from night terrors. <laughs> He'll be fine in a day or two. Sure. <laughs> right. Walk it off. <laughs> um, Get good, no, but buddy. Like, this kid had to be so traumatized. Yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's he's so crazy. He's literally in this thing's mouth, like being beaten and smashed on everything throughout this forest. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. That's that would be terrifying. That would. And how how old was he? I know the the other one. He was he was younger, right? <laughs> Yeah. The kid who got attacked was 13. 13. The other one was, what, 9 or 11? 11. 11. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Imagine being like yeah. a 13-year-old kid and you're just... <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a terrible way to go. That scene was, like, honestly, it was hard to write. Like, because you have to imagine this, like, kid, and I have I have kids that age, so... Boys. Don't let him go into the forest. And like, right? Um, so, especially the part where he's trying to get the boy into the den, into the tree, and he's just like banging him up against the sides right. of the the opening, like trying to like jerk him into the tree. That's gnarly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, and just in and the all the while you have the other one that's hearing all this happen. Or, like, hearing, yeah. you know, everything that's going on, hearing this, like, boy, like, screaming, and also hearing him, like, being thrown about all, you know. Yeah. 
that would be traumatizing for both for both of them. Absolutely, you know, especially the other because he can't do anything about it. Yeah, I try to remember the the culture of raising children at that time, you know, and how different it was. Of course, yeah. And like thirteen is just a few years from marrying age. True. During right. this time period, you know, I mean, thirteen, they so already like, had jobs, they were already doing you know this yeah. or that or whatever else, right? Yeah, but like the bravery displayed by that eleven-year-old blew my mind. Like, I don't know how many. I don't think a modern eleven-year-old would would have chased that. Thing. <laughs> You're probably right, to be honest. He probably would have run home. I mean, obviously, he would have like ran to wherever he got cell service and, and called someone. <laughs> Facetime probably his, texted his some. parents. He, he doesn't probably even call. He just start FaceTiming. Like, look, this is going on. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Goes on Facebook Live. (laughs) Holy shit, guys. Look at this. (laughs) Meanwhile, his brother's just like bleeding and dangling and getting slammed against the rocks. You see his brother flying in the air and stuff. Exactly. But the more views he likes, he gets. He'll be right. He's like, world star. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Hashtag so and so and this is what's it, you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yep. Man. <laughs> we live in a strange world these days. People suck now. <laughs> <laughs> every time I... Man, every time. Every time. I should never have chosen to study history. Yeah. Because, like, I'm constantly reading about these incredible human beings, and I'm like, where are they? Comparing that like, to where we are these today? days. Yeah, man. Yes. For sure. And it drives me nuts. I think. I mean, I think we hit the nail on the head. Mo- if this happened to a modern set of brothers, first off, that they probably both would have just fainted right there on the side of the creek as soon as it came out. And <laughs> they would dinner. be outside in the first place. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's true. They would have been like, they would have been playing a fishing game on their. I was going to say they're like we the we. <laughs> they're no, they're they're <laughs> VR man. They're they're like VR. Yeah. Like VR fishing is the best. <laughs> promise ryan you are a modern 13 year old <laughs> hey i i enjoy it it's nice to like sit here and like you know crack open a beer and fish until my heart's content i don't have to leave the comfort of my office you but don't still, even need like a you don't even have to deal with having like a nice breeze or the smell of grass or anything sometimes like if i'm <laughs> if i'm feeling a little you know like trying trying to get really set in the mood I'll get a bucket of water and put my feet in it. Feel like I. <laughs> <laughs> you could at least sit on your back porch and play it. No, there's bugs. <laughs> and crosswalk monsters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Regardless, no, but yeah. I mean, it, it just modern day. That's 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 how it is, right? Which is just crazy. Like, you had know, to think of like these kids. They would go miles from home and do these trips yep. and stuff like on their own and everything uh, yeah. left to fend for themselves and now like it's, it's just not like that yeah at all and i think that's why you see the like bravery right because like these boys have dealt with some shit yeah oh like, for sure they're, man they're only 11 and 13 but like they've been out there in it yeah these kids are harder right? than you know, Probably adults these days. Are. Right. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say that, but I didn't want to go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't fist fight that 13-year-old. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 
Dude, I mean, I think about like um, like our grandfather's generation yeah. and how like hard those men were. Oh man, for you sure. know, mm-hmm. and like it's just different. It's so different. I'm like a squishy little amoeba of a man compared to what my grandfather was in his 30s. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Like, it, life is so much See, simpler and easier. But we're never Not gonna simpler, have, but easier now. We're never gonna have that again until like the fall of technology civilization <laughs> yeah to, to not well not till the fall of civilization i don't think but i think eventually one day we'll see a decline in technology something will happen maybe i don't think i yeah, don't think it'll I, be lifetimes away obviously yeah i just want to see how far we can go in my lifetime right um i don't know it's it's weird these boys seem so tough to me mm-hmm. and it like it, it freaked me because if you read that story now, you know that kid would be like on the evening news, like they would be like calling him a, a hero, of course, right? Yeah. But back then they were just like, I mean, he did what people, what a person would do. Mm-hmm. You're just you know the kid I mean? down the street. Yeah. Like, and if your brother gets snatched up by a giant monster, you go get him. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> no question about it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. It's weird for sure. But, uh, yeah, man, like this, this, this thing, it just sounds like something I never, never want to, I never want to encounter. Yeah. It's, it's wild. And I find this, I like this one because it's still like animalistic enough to, for me to, to feel believable to Mm -hmm. me as like a flesh and blood creature. You know what I mean? I think it's entirely possible. I mean, it's entirely possible for something like this to exist yeah and whether it comes from the depths of the unknown of whatever like or like sure. some random like you know cave system yeah i think it's altogether possible like i really don't i don't think because most of them i end up i end up thinking like ultra terrestrial stuff yeah. i end up thinking like oh maybe this is from another world or i don't think but so in this on case this one yeah this one doesn't feel that way to me at all it feels like, especially with it being like late 19th century, it hasn't been seen in a long time. This could have been like a relic species that soon died off mm-hmm. and it just never got cataloged. True. You know? Mm-hmm. And they only yeah. exist in the deepest depths of some cave or nightmares. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's where it exists now. <laughs> right. Exactly. But yeah, no, I, I think so too. I think it. I think it definitely could have been. It could have been real. Like I, I, I assume. I buy into it for sure. Yeah. You know, be- I don't. I so rarely land on flesh and blood, but on this one, I definitely. Mm-hmm. I, it feels that way to me. I think just like you said, with it, with the time period and everything, and then the possibility that. You know, this could have been like one of the last remaining, or you know, as these yeah. sites became like few and far between, or the you know these encounters, whatever. Became yeah. few and far between. Like that could have been the last of his its existence that we at least know of. Um, yeah, you know at least. We're kind of and what that's we've cool seen. to me. Mm-hmm. That's it's very it's like kind of like being like the last person that saw you know a thylacine or the last person that saw like a dodo bird. You know what I mean? Like yeah. somebody was that guy. Yeah, of course, was the last person to see one before it was fully extinct. And then that's just become a story. Yeah. 
exactly. So I think uh, I think these two two boys had a pretty significant encounter. Obviously, that uh, I'm sure stayed with them forever. Uh, was probably pretty traumatizing, but at least it was a cool story to tell after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that that dude, that boy that got attacked, he definitely had scars forever. You know what I mean mm-hmm. from that attack. You know he told that story his whole oh, life. Oh man, I would. I'd go on Fuck and tell yeah. my grandchildren. Like, you know, like anybody. I'd be like, hey, tell anybody you come across, like, this happened. Check this <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'd probably never wear a shirt again. <laughs> right, exactly. Just get people asking, hey, what happened there? Well, let me tell yeah. you. I imagine it looked like a shark bite. That's what like, I imagine, you know especially have, with the different yeah. layers of, like, teeth and stuff. Yep. Yeah. That was what I and immediately like, assumed. The like curved, you know, nature of mm-hmm. a snake's mouth, a snake-shaped mouth, right? But with rows of teeth. Yeah, that's gnarly. Yeah, super gnarly, man. I dig it though, nonetheless. Yeah, it's a very cool story. I think that concludes episode fifty-one, the Crosswick Monster. Thank you, thank you, thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week. And it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. And if you want more, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. It's there you will find bonus content, behind the scenes, we're just keeping up on our day-to-day, and maybe some swag along the way. It is our way to show thanks for your support and do everything we can to provide you with as much content as possible. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash campfire tales of the strange and unsettling. With that said, we want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials at campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And lastly, we do have our merch store. You can find the link available on all of our social media or via our link tree. Show your support. Buy a shirt, buy a sticker, buy a blanket, buy a pillow, anything that you want to rep Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram, the brilliant mind behind the gorgeous music that you hear each week behind the debrief. So go find him at reverentmusic.bandcamp.com or you can visit his Spotify page by searching Reverent, R-E-V-E-R-E-N-T. All of these links can be found in the episode description. Go and support him. You both deserve it. And that's it. Until next time. I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers. Stay weird. And trust in the unknown.